This morning's passage is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for those of you who've been here for a couple of weeks, you know we're finishing up a three-part series. If a series can be three parts, that's what it was. Three-part series was the good news, right? Uh, the good news and how expansive and huge and gigantic it actually is. The first week we concentrated on the good news is redemption, namely the salvation of the soul, which it is primarily. It relates especially to a relationship with God. And after all, the nature of religion would tell you that, apart from Christianity itself. Religion is about eternal things. So the primary import of the good news concerning Jesus Christ must be about eternal things like the soul. But what we also considered is the fact that even though that's primary, it doesn't mean that the primary eclipses the other parts of the gospel, which are exceedingly important. Other parts of the gospel, as we discussed last week, the good news as compassion to the poor and to the needy, that too is the gospel, the good news. And today we discuss the notion of the good news as justice. That too is the good news. Let me begin with a, a couple of... Um, statistics that are remarkable. Some of the richest people in the world, just a handful of them, individually have a larger annual income than multiple nations' gross national product. One of those guys is running for president. That's not a political comment. I'm not going there. I'm just saying. Another fact. Again, I'm not calling out a company here. Wonderful things, companies. I'm not dissing capitalism. I think capitalism is a wonderful thing. But here's a fact. The annual revenue of Motorola Incorporated is almost equal to the annual income of Nigeria, Africa's second largest economy. 
This country is almost the size of Europe, and it has the largest population of any country in Africa, 120 million people. And Motorola has more annual income than the country. Here's another one. This one just practically catches in my throat. The cost of providing basic health care and nutrition for all people in the world would be less than the annual cost of pet food in Europe and the United States. I guess you know I'm not making these things up. <laughs> Over 840 million people in the world are malnourished right now. And more than 153 million of those are children under the age of five. By the way, that's half of the population of the United States. Every day, 34,000 children die of hunger or a hunger-related disease. And that results in six million deaths a year. Malnourished children. Of 6.2 billion people living today, 1.2 billion live on less than one dollar per day. Nearly three billion live on less than $2 a day. Now you may expect at this point that I'm going to launch into a tirade about how first world companies and first world countries and individuals with enormous wealth ought to have enough compassion to pump into those economies and fix the problem. I'm not going to say that. Because as a matter of fact, we do. Some of those enormously wealthy individuals, you know one associated with a giant computer network, pumps millions of dollars into these poverty issues. Millions of dollars. And the problem goes unsolved. You know why? Because it's not really just a compassion issue. It's a justice issue. Untold millions and billions of dollars have been pumped into economies, ostensibly, of poor developing countries, only to find the dictators in those economies grabbing it for themselves. And it never gets to the people. That's a justice issue. And Jesus was not just about the salvation of the soul. He was about justice. So in terms of justice this morning, I, I've got two major points and, and three sub-points under each one of them. Okay, here's the first point to question. Justice, why? I mean, why is justice an issue for us? And for Jesus, you might say, well, of course I know why it's an issue for us, because Jesus said so. No, we don't want to be simplistic about that. Why is justice a real human issue? And here's why. Because of human dignity. 
See, at the very beginning of this revelation called the Bible, God speaks about the creation of the world and the creation of human beings, namely Adam and Eve. And he says, let us, you could finish the sentence with me, let us create man in our image. In effect, God is saying, every human being into whom you look, their eyes and their face, their reflection of the image of God, human dignity. It's the thing that marks off the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament and everything that we call Christian. When we think about the reality of our world and human beings, the very beginning of beginnings says every single person is stamped with human dignity because they're the reflected image of God. That's why justice matters. And it makes no difference what the person's social status or economic status or race or gender or religion Every one of them is stamped with the image of God. You know what else is true about that image of God? It makes no difference how far a person has fallen in terms of their sinful nature and activity. They still reflect the image of God. That's why Jesus was always called a friend of sinners. Why? Because He looked at the so-called righteous and then He looked at someone who was living in prostitution or a tax collector or anybody else of all kinds of sins and He associated with them. He looked at them. He gave them the human dignity they deserved because even sin cannot eclipse the image of God. That's why justice is so important. We must tend to justice because of human dignity. There's another reason why justice is so important. It's because of human equality. Jesus consistently leveled the playing fields. Whenever he was in the context of people who were otherwise disenfranchised by society, he raised them up. How about this phrase? You remember it. Jesus says, a master is not greater than his servant. What? Now you might not say what to that. But can you imagine what the disciples thought the first time they heard that? I mean, come on. The disciples thought that people who were rich were more righteous than people who were poor. They did. And Jesus says, a master is not higher than his servant. He's not greater than his servant. No, the servant is equal to his master. Stunning. But he didn't stop there. Instead of just pontificating about equality, human equality, he said, let me demonstrate it to you, my friends. Sit down. I'm going to take off your sandals. And I'm going to wash your feet. I am your master, but as master, I will wash your feet. There was nothing that was lower than that. The dramatic level playing ground of Jesus. The disciples, they 
saw that happen and still they didn't understand. And on one occasion, remember the occasion where Cornelius comes to Peter, he's a Gentile, and Peter's a Jew, and he's stunned by the fact that the grace of God has been distributed beyond the Jewish nation to the Gentiles? He says, now it dawned on me that God shows no partiality. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Peter, you were hanging out with Jesus for three years and this just dawned on you? Well, as soon as I want to do that, I got to realize I'd have been doing the same thing because I was dumb though Peter is. I would have been as prejudiced as him in that culture. But it was stunning to him, right? Peter had an epiphany. Paul says it in another way. He says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, because all are one in Christ. We're all equal. You know what the ultimate equality is, though? The ultimate equality is the bad news that precedes the good news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody whether you consider them way down here in terms of their righteousness or way up here in terms of their righteousness, all of them are fallen and marred by sin and in need of the ever-redeeming grace of God. That's another signal of equality. So why justice? Human dignity. Why justice? Human equality. Why justice? Human responsibility. You see, my friends, you can't believe the first two and ignore the third. If you really believe every face you look into is a reflected image of God, if you really believe in human equality for all people, you cannot help but take the responsibility as an image bearer of God to care for those who reflect the image of God and to care for those who are equal in God's eyes. So Jesus calls us to righteousness because it's our responsibility to minister to others. That's why the prophets, by the way, were constantly calling out kings and priests and shepherds and leaders to care for the people well, to love justice and to do mercy because their exalted responsibility required great things of them as it related to human dignity and human equality, but it's the same for us. So the first major question was justice, why? Second major question, justice, how? If you get the justice why part, if you understand that you must pursue justice, then your next question might be, how do I do this? So before we even explore that option or opportunity, let's acknowledge something. There is something called systemic injustice. Okay, for those of you who don't like words that you don't use every day, systemic is pretty simple. It just means interlaced with system. Okay? As opposed to an individual part. So injustice issues are often systemic. They're interlaced with issues and it becomes enormously complex. And you look at it and you're overwhelmed and sometimes you turn numb because of it and you walk away and you throw up your hands and say, what can I do about it? Example, you know that some of the clothes that you may have on right now were made in sweatshops. And when you find out you're alarmed and then you realize that you couldn't buy any clothes that you used to buy because... 
Then you hear something about fair trade coffee. It's a good thing. And you begin to realize that you can't track down whether every cup of coffee you have is a fair trade cup of coffee or not. So what do you do? Stop drinking coffee? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep throwing back Starbucks because I like it. And if I find out that a particular company is overly abusive to people who work for them and is clear to me, I might say, enough of that company already. But you know how hard it is to do that, right? And sometimes we just can't figure it out. And not being able to figure it out becomes an excuse so that we don't do something. Right? So I just want to acknowledge systemic justice and how complex it is and how it eclipses other things that are important. There's not just systemic justice. There's injustice. There's blatant injustice. Blatant injustice is, is pretty obvious. That's the word blatant. Right? It's right in front of you. You know it's injustice. It's not as systemic as other forms. What's that look like? Slavery? You know, it took us a long time to get to that place, didn't it? But we got to that place and we believe it now and we're doing something about it. The only problem is there's more slavery now than there was before. You know those facts too, right? Slavery is not only higher now than it was in the 18th century, it's at the highest point in human history, according to certain statistics. 27 million people are slaves. Human trafficking is a $32 billion business. More than multiple uh, countries' GDPs. Let's bring it a little closer to home. In the land of the free and the home of the brave, which I love, 14 to 17,000 people are trafficked in slave trade in this country annually. Not long ago, it wasn't quite a year. In October, we had an organization called International Justice Mission. And that organization deals with these issues. It also deals with other issues of injustice, like land grabbing. Do any of you remember those stories that he told about a widow who had legal rights to a piece of land and she was just trying to put together a sustainable living for her family and it was taken away from her? And how much effort it took for her even to get someone to listen to her. And then they turned her away. And IJM moves into those situations with lawyers from those regions and addresses those injustices. Those were some wonderful stories. And slave trafficking is beginning to go down because of those efforts. They're not the only organization. But there's also gigantic numbers in the sex trafficking industry across the world and in this country. 
As I mentioned earlier, an injustice that is also very blatant is government corruption, high-level officials robbing from the poor. The list goes on and on. You know the issues of blatant injustice, right? You see them every day. You hear about them in the news. But even then, sometimes you could get overwhelmed. Not just systemic, but the blatant kind. You could say, but that's so huge, I can't touch it. Yes, we can. We can touch issues of blatant injustice through organizations like IGM, through organizations like World Vision, through organizations like Compassion International, all Christian organizations, and, as I reminded you last week, through the church. The church has always been about these issues, and we continue to be about these issues. And there's nothing better than people on the ground who understand the culture who are fighting for justice in their land. Not long ago, we had a missionary here this summer, David Mensah, a dear friend of mine. Uh, David has incredible, incredible visions for his country. He's Ghanaian himself in northern Ghana. The, um, the impoverished part of that country is just beyond belief. He's done all kinds of things. I'm not even going into all of them for you now because it would take too long, but the latest... And what he's doing, if you were here, you know, he's going to build a hospital. There's no hospital anywhere. He needs a lot of help building the hospital. He needs funds to build the hospital. And you know what? David understands justice in his context really well. And he knows he could get the money for the hospital. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call a government leader in Accra, and they would come running. You know why he doesn't? Because of government corruption. He said, no, we're going to do it on our own. It's going to be compassion and justice in the name of Jesus. And we're calling on our friends who love Jesus in the churches all over the world to help us make this happen. Yeah, the issues are huge, but we can do something. So first, there is systemic injustices, hard to ferret out. Then there's blatant injustices. You can see them, but they can be overwhelming. And then, you know these better. There's individual injustice. What does that look like in your community, maybe in your family, in your workplace? It might look like the abuse of children. It might look like domestic violence. I know it's complicated, but it's wrong. And I don't know what we can individually all do about it in our particular situations, but I know what we can't do. We cannot be silent when we see that kind of injustice. We've got to be wise. We counsel with people that we trust. We don't make the situation worse 
but we must speak. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Do you know the situations? You must. What about abuse in the workplace? It happens, doesn't it? It's an individual injustice. You know the people. I wish I could tell you a story. A personal story about someone I know who became a whistleblower in a rather large organization because of an injustice. And she no longer has a job. And furthermore, she can't get one. Why? Because she chose to speak out. There's costs that come with pursuing justice. We know it. But if Jesus were here today, He would say there's a cost to discipleship, following Me. And that's part of it. And on occasion, you have to take the cost and do what's right. I pray that she's going to be okay. I pray that she'll get a job. But I know she did the right thing. Because she loved justice and mercy. And she pursued it. So I leave you with uh, three questions. Where do you live? Start there and make a difference. Who do you know? Begin with those people. And make a difference. What can you do? You can address individual injustice. And you can help organizations like your church and other Christian organizations address global injustice. You can do something. I'm reminded of that story that's become just kind of a standard story now, I guess, for a lot of people. Might be urban legend for all I know. But it's a good one. Story of a young boy who was walking along a seashore and the result of uh, the tide and prevailing winds had washed in just thousands and tens of thousands of starfish all over the sea shore. And you know what happens when the tide goes out? They just lay there and bake and die. And most of us go pick them up for souvenirs, right? <laughs> I did that in Florida a lot. I wasn't that little boy, I guess. But the little boy, looking at the seashore and uh, seeing the starfish, decided that he would try to help. So he started picking up starfish and tossing them into the sea, one right after another, one right after another. And as the story goes, a cynical, jaded businessman is walking on the seashore. Could have been a jaded doctor or lawyer or preacher, somebody like that, right? Walking along and encounters a little kid and he says, Kid, what are you doing? Throwing these starfish in the sea. Well, what kind of impact do you think you're going to make? You can't make a difference here. There's thousands of those things. 
A little boy, without saying a word, just reached down, picked up another starfish, threw it into the sea. Turned to the man and said, made a difference for that one. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> you can bring about justice. You can make a difference for that one. Let me circle all the way back around to where we began three weeks ago. The gospel is about the salvation of the soul. But it's about more than that. And sometimes when we want to share the gospel, we just over talk. We even say the right words and we talk incessantly and people can't hear it because our words in spite of us eclipse the message. You know, over talkers? If you don't, you're probably that guy. <laughs> You talk so much, nobody can hear. So this is where those famous words come into play by a famous Christian who says, share the gospel. And when necessary, use words. Oh, uh, we could critique that. We could say words are more important than that. But that's not the point. We talk, talk, talk talk sometimes and we don't do so what do you do you live the gospel and you let God do the rest you know God can do that he is God after all live the gospel and let God do the rest let's pray God we're really grateful that it's not all up to us First of all, we just mess it up. Second of all, we get overwhelmed. And third, we're just too sinful and self-centered to really take on the issue and fix it. So we're grateful that on occasion, when you allow us to step into the good news, whether in word or in deed, you take the good news and do something miraculous with it. You open the eyes of the blind. You heal those who are overwhelmed physically and spiritually. You rescue the oppressed. You touch the lives of the needy. All because, all because we just followed you. And following you, Lord, sometimes is costly. And so we shrink back. Following you, Lord, sometimes is just annoying. <laughs> following you, Lord, sometimes just makes our lives, we think, too busy. But we were made for this, to follow you. May we do it in words and in deed and turn the rest over to you. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.